0: We're thinking these Sunday mornings about Jesus' basics, the really basic, important, central things which as Christians or, or, or if we're investigating the Christian faith, we've got to get, we've got to understand and have help to put into action in our lives. So Matt helped us last week think about how Jesus' first command is that we repent and believe. We repent, we, we turn away from. Our sins, that upside-down life which David was teaching us and the children about, of of seeking to, to push God away, put him at the bottom. We say, that's wrong, that deserves hell. But then we believe, we believe that Jesus took its punishment. He took our hell upon the cross. We can just step into God's complete, unconditional, everlasting, forever forgiveness. And we do, and when we do, we are born again. We are made brand new, washed of all of our sins, brought into God's family, certain of the future in heaven because of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Now we're coming to baptism. The command of the Lord Jesus to his disciples that they go and make disciples, verse 19, of all nations and baptize them. But before we start, maybe we need to stop, because there are some of you here, and you're new to the Christian faith, you're you're asking questions, you're checking things out, and you're thinking, oh, okay, this is is the technical stuff for those who believe it. Then there are others of us who are thinking, well, I was baptized one year, five years, 25, 55 years ago, so he's talking to other people this morning. Not at all. Because if baptism isn't the heart of the Christian faith, the heart of the Christian faith is turning away from our sins and saying yes to Jesus, baptism is, it shows us the heart of the Christian faith, what it means to come and trust in the Lord Jesus and then step out into the world following him. So if you're new to the Christian faith, you're exploring it, this morning is a great morning for you. And if you're a seasoned campaigner in the Christian faith, my prayer is that this morning is a great morning for you as your heart is thrilled again with the high privilege and calling of being a baptized Christian. Now, this little paragraph is called The Great Commission. That's a little subheading that our translation of the Bible has. and It's been used by Christians for hundreds of years. Four things very briefly about it to help us understand the passage, and then we'll move and look into the detail. I'm going to teach you three things about baptism this morning. So the four things, firstly, that it's the risen Christ who's speaking with all authority. The disciples are meeting the Christ who's been raised from the dead. He comes to them and he says, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's saying, listen up, I have all authority. Secondly, he's speaking to the church. Now he's speaking to the 11 disciples. And notice how they are just like us. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And why does Matthew include this? If he's trying to show that the disciples were superstars, he's really shot himself in the foot at this point. But he says, because it happened, and it's true, and it's just like you and me, some doubted. You notice that? Have you ever seen that before? Worship, they see Jesus, and we say, well, if we could just see Jesus, our doubts would melt away. No, they wouldn't. Some doubted, and some doubt this morning, and we all doubt at some time. But Jesus isn't just addressing the 11 disciples. This is a commission which is given first to them and which we receive again today as God preaches his word to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the church's commission. These are our marching orders, yours and mine, to go together to bring the incredible good news of Jesus Christ to the people around us. Thirdly, he's commissioning the church. This is a church's commission for mission. It's for all people. It's for all time. So we'll get on to the verse, verse 20, when Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In part, that's because he knows that this commission continues until when? The end of the age. And it hasn't come yet. So this is our commission. And fourthly, as we focus in on baptism, central in his commission Is his command to the church to baptize followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a great commission. That's what's happening around. That's a context for the command to baptize. Three things then for us to look at this morning. Firstly, we're going to see that baptism is a declaration of new ownership by grace. Secondly, we're going to see that baptism is a commitment to be an obedient follower. And thirdly, we're going to see that baptism expresses a confidence in God's empowering presence. You want it like this? Baptism says, he has me, he's called me, and he's walking with me. So firstly, baptism is a declaration of new ownership by grace. Baptize the disciples you make, verse 19, in or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So amongst the many things a baptism is, it's actually a naming ceremony. It's a declaration that you don't belong primarily to your family or to your country, to your tribe, to yourself. But as you're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you belong to the God who is Trinity. And that is awesome. And that is an incredible, overwhelming privilege because it's all of grace and responsibility as we declare publicly that we belong to this God. Some of us know bits and bobs about our church, about our family history. Many of us know that in our families there are names which speak of values and hopes and identity. Some of us have histories we're proud of. Some of us have histories we're not so sure about. I've got lots of Scottish Highland blood sloshing around in my veins. Go back a few hundred years, some of my forebears were a famous clan in the west of Scotland. In another part of my family tree, some of my other forebears were a now infamous clan in the Highlands of Scotland who got this lot round for a party and murdered them in the night. And somehow those those generations have worked their way down and the families have merged and I'm the product or one of the products. Baptism says, whatever your past or your present, if you're ashamed of your family, you feel that you're maybe the victim of some of its shortcomings. If you're deeply proud of your family, you have a new family when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the truth that that has come into your heart must now be declared publicly as you declare your new Name. The name you will bear into the world. As the Father says in baptism, look everybody, she's mine. He's mine. My son died for him. They belong to me. I've planned their salvation in eternity. And he's mine too. And I've set my Holy Spirit on him. And in the waters of the baptism we're saying, He is mine, and I'm his. And another small point, baptism spells the end of individualism. People think us Baptists, we're a pretty privatized lot. It's about us and personal salvation, us and our personal relationship with Jesus. Well, it is about personal salvation, and it is about a personal relationship with Jesus. But baptism says all of that must be shared because we're now in the same family of all who profess faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as much as your baptism is your personal and public identification that you've been joined to Jesus through faith, buried with him in baptism, raised with him in unison of life, you're saying, and I share it all with these people as we work out what it means to be the family of God. So can I ask, has God claimed you yet? Has he said, you belong to me? Can you say God is your father? Jesus is your savior. The Holy Spirit dwells within you miraculously, gloriously. And have you taken the only name which matters for time and eternity? Publicly in baptism. I used to have a friend. If I say I buried him, that sounds bad, but I I led his funeral service. Uh, Ron. Ron Wickham. And Ron was adopted by wonderful, loving parents as a tiny baby. He was found on a train. He always... Insisted that he must have had very posh parents because he was found in a first class carriage. But we kind of reminded him that we thought there's more likelihood that he would get found and put into good care if the baby were left in the first class carriage. But there he was found in a first class carriage. Uh, and then his name, Wickham, his surname wasn't the name of his adopting parents. Great, there they were. But that's a name that the agency gave him because where the train ended up was was in a station called Hampton Wick. Wick Ham. His name was, in a sense, random. It said so much about his heritage and where he'd come from with all its mysteries. But the name we receive at baptism isn't random. It says everything about where we're going. So why, if you're a Christian, would you not want to claim that name publicly? And if you've been baptized for many years, why would you not today want to rejoice that the world knows that you belong to such a God? Secondly, baptism is a commitment to be an obedient follower. It's a commitment to be an obedient follower. Baptism says, this has happened to me, but it also says, and this is going to happen to me. I will take up my cross, deny myself, and obey the Lord Jesus. So, the disciples are commanded to make disciples, and the first call they're to give to those who become disciples is that they are to be baptized. Think about it. Jesus commands his first followers to take his truth into the world and says, teach others to to obey me, including the step of baptism. So we hear the gospel, we put our trust in him, we're committed to being a disciple. What does the word disciple mean? It means a learner. So we are to be those who learn Jesus and who do what he tells us to do. And baptism is a step for those who are going to, by grace, do what Jesus tells them to do. Learning is not enough, because disciple means learner. But the implication, the understanding is that a learner is a follower. If you just want to hear sermons or read books or listen to podcasts, be a theology student. But if you want to be a Christian, take what you learn, knowing that Sunday by Sunday, sermon by sermon, Bible study by Bible study, the Lord expects you to follow him and to be obedient to everything he has commanded You, John 14 verse 21. Whoever has my command, says Jesus, and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And hear this. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So learn from Jesus, obey him, And heaven does not love you more, but what's the promise here? That knowledge that heaven is smiling upon you, that you have fellowship with the Father and the Son as you obey his word. We don't get to pick and choose what bits of the Bible we want to obey. We get a command to obey all of it as the risen Lord Jesus teaches it to us. Now, at this stage in the sermon, I'm going to take a bit of a risk, but I think it's an appropriate risk. I want to explore with you the question of who should be baptised. I say a risk because we're going to go a bit deeper here. And I read through my notes this morning, this might be fully ten minutes of my sermon, but they're ten super important minutes. As we think about who the church should baptise. We're a Baptist church, meaning that in our through our leadership, in our statement of faith, We've made a decision which has been echoed by millions of Christians around the world and through time, that baptism is appropriate only for those who come to a certain age where they can understand the gospel, turn from their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus. That makes us separate from other gospel Jesus-loving churches who say that it's biblical to baptize babies. So let's understand why we've got to, why how we've arrived at where we have as a Baptist church, but don't worry, I'm going to speak with perfect respect and honor as I try as accurate as I can to explain how infant Baptists baptize children. Three points, I promise I'll be as concise as I can, and the third one is going to be the longest, okay? So if you think, oh, we're whipping through this, the third one's the longest, because it needs to be. The first one, so who should be baptized? Baptized. We need to think about the witness of Scripture to baptism. What do we see? Who is baptized as we go to Scripture? Well, in the New Testament, we see no babies whatsoever being baptized. Nor is there a single command to baptize babies. Now, infant Baptists aren't bamboozled by that. They say, well, if it's not explicit... It was obvious to the people in the time. Those of Jewish heritage applied circumcision to their babies. It was natural they apply baptism to their infants. As Christians, it doesn't need to be spelt out. They also would say, well, ancient cultures are far more family-focused. So if if the, the head of the family changes religion, the kids don't get the option. So if the dad is baptised, they would say it's, it's natural that the infants will be baptised as well. That's fine, I get that, I understand it. That is an argument by inference. We assume, we infer that that's behind the text. So the Bible's witness to infant baptism, there isn't a witness. Now I don't mean that in any nasty way to those of you who are convinced of infant baptism. Yours, if you're that person, you're inferring the infant's should be baptized in the silence of the silence of explicit command or clear example. I'm going to look in more detail as to how infant Baptists come to a strong conviction that baby should be, should be baptized. But the second point is this, the Bible's teaching on baptism. The Bible's teaching on baptism explicitly links baptism to a person's active trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and evidence of the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So we know, for example, from the book of Acts, the order is repent, believe, be baptised. Nowhere is it explicit that the command is be baptised and hopefully in time you will believe and be made new. Romans 6 is a key passage, as Matt read it to us, where baptism is a sign that the believer has already died with Christ. Remember the image, buried with Christ in baptism and being raised into newness of life. I'll read you the verse. Paul says of himself and fellow Christians, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now it's not a natural reading of that verse. Or the passage to say the picture of burial and resurrection of the believer in Christ, death to self, resurrection to new life, can be squared with what a tiny baby has undergone. They have not been united to Christ through repentance and faith. They can't obey either of those commands. If I can give you one more verse, one Peter 3 verse 12 says that baptism is a pledge of a good conscience. The infant Baptist says, yes, that that's that's a pledge of the good conscience which we hope that Christ will bring through his saving work later in the years in that individual's life. But the Baptist says, no, 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 we go into the water saying, gosh, my conscience used to tear me to pieces. But Christ has made my heart new. And though I know I'm a terrible sinner, I have a wonderful Savior and my conscience has been cleansed. And my baptism is a sign of that work. Now, point three. This is the meatiest and then we shall move to our final lesson about baptism. Baptism is the sign of the true community of God. Now, it will be unfair and actually offensive to to say that many sincere Christians baptize their infants out of superstition or tradition. That's not at all true. Reformed infant Baptists place their argument largely on the validity of infant baptism on the way they say God dealt with his people in the Old Testament and the way he deals with his people now. So, what does that mean? In the Old Testament, they recognize that God gave his people circumcision as a sign for the infant boys, a sign of belonging to God's covenant maybe with the people of Israel. Now, the, old, the, the new covenant is open to all And infant Baptists say that that covenant sign circumcision, well, it's equivalent baptism, should be applied to the sons and the daughters of those who are in the church as a sign of the blessings of the covenant available to the infants. Now they'd say he or she needs their own faith. Baptism doesn't save. But the sign is appropriate. It's a sign that God loves to be merciful. But the Baptist disagrees on what grounds? Primarily this one. Baptists recognize that the covenants are actually very, very different. God's covenant love in Jesus revealed in the New Testament is very different from even the love which God's Old Testament people knew. Remind yourselves what the features of the Old Testament covenant. The covenant was ethnic to a specific people, outward to do with external laws and demanding obedience as a condition of being saved and being right with God. The people of God belonged to God, but only some of them were in a saving relationship with God, within that whole ethnic people. So an infant who was circumcised belonged to a special people but had no guarantee of being saved. And in fact, the act of circumcision meant that that little infant was responsible, as he grew up, for keeping the whole law, which is a condition of salvation. That is very different from our experience of God's covenant love today. We are an international people. God's covenant works on us inwardly. The essence of the old covenant was keep the law and you'll live. The new covenant for you and me is Jesus Christ has kept the law and died for our law breaking. We collapse into his arms, dead in our sins, and we find life. And we're raised through forgiveness to everlasting life. And we're a people of the spirit this is the age of God's dealings that we live in. We're people of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't given to the people of Israel. He's given to every person who trusts in Jesus Christ. So we want to stress the newness, the distinct and different nature of the new covenant for every follower of Jesus. For an international community, God has made us new in our hearts all our faith is on Jesus law keeping so in summary the infant baptist emphasizes continuity so circumcision appropriate then therefore baptism now the baptist recognizes the bible's discontinuity circumcision was actually a sign that those who received it needed a new heart a circumcised heart which the prophets spoke about all the time As Christians, we say we have the signpost of the circumcision and it's pointing to, not baptism, conversion. The cutting away of the sinful nature and the new heart gifted by Jesus Christ. Then having experienced that new heart, we say the Lord Jesus has made me new as I put all of my trust in him and I'm declaring that... To the world. There's far more to be said there. And I've tried to prepare those notes as if some of my dearest infant baptizing minister friends were in the congregation. So that they wouldn't feel misrepresented or offended. And that's only skimming the surface. If this is something you'd like to think more of, I have a wealth of materials which I would love to share with you. Little story, and then we've got five minutes to finish out the sermon. In 1812, three missionaries were sailing to India on two different ships, a married couple and a single man. As they studied their Bibles and prayed, in the four months they had to sail, they just felt led to study the topic of baptism. And quite apart from one another, they came to this great conviction that baptism of believers was the Bible's teaching. Now, this was super awkward. All their friends and their sending financially supporting churches were infant Baptists. They knew this would bring them a whole lot of misunderstanding, tension, and no more financial support. And baptism for all of us, surely all of us, is scary, awkward, inconvenient but necessary. We must be convinced of what the Bible teaches. We have a clause, as the members know in our members' handbook, that if you are convinced that infant baptism is scriptural, we want to honor you and respect you. Our majority position, of course, is as a Baptist church, but individuals need to make their minds up with an open Bible. And the single man who came to that conviction The three of them followed up and were baptized, but the single man wrote this in his diary later that year. Was this day baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit? Beg your pardon. Was this day, this is a bad mistake. Was this day baptized in the name of the Holy Trinity? The Lord grant that I may ever find his name to be a strong tower to which I may continually resort and find safety. And that's baptism. If the Bible teaches it, we do it. And we're not being baptized as individuals just to live the Christian life as best we can, but we're running to the name of the Lord who is a strong tower. And we trust him. Which takes us to the final point, which is that baptism declares a confidence in God's empowering presence. And surely I am with you, says Jesus, verse 20, always to the very end of the age. How scared must these disciples have felt to hear this commission? How terrifying. And if you think about it, their track record of being Jesus' effective servants was not confidence building, was it? They bickered, they argued, they forgot, they misunderstood, they disobeyed, they ran away, they were constantly scared, they often moaned, they always complained. Just like so many of us. After they'd seen the risen Christ, they were still meeting in a locked lounge. They're hardly likely to go and win the nations, are they? When they're hearing this commission, half of them think, well, I don't really know if this is true. And they're being commissioned to say, you've got to go to the ends of the earth and say, this is true. And it's to those struggling sceptics, and it's to you and me today, that Jesus gives this amazing promise. Truly, I will be with you. Always. To the very end of the age, which means till the end of time, including in the hardest of times. Now, I think we can legitimately take that and make that our promise as we come to the waters of baptism. We may feel that we're going there on our own. It's lonely, daunting, scary. But actually, we're never on our own. Our translation says, I am with you. And I think it was even maybe just this week that the penny dropped in my mind. Some of you got there decades ago, but I'm I'm a slow learner. The words Matthew uses are the words, wait for it, I and am. Our English ears don't pick up much. If we were Greek speakers or Hebrew speakers, our ears would be buzzing again. In this most critical place, is one of the I am statements. What is the name of God revealed to Moses? I am. This whole gospel, as all the four gospels, they are the revelation of the I am. At the beginning of the gospel, Matthew records the angel saying that the child is Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. I am amongst his people. And as these first believers are commissioned to go into all the world, they go with a promise. I am will be with you. Stunning. When I was baptized, I was very scared. Very scared. And I was very scared that I'd be an emotional mess. And all my fears were confirmed. I blubbed my way through my testimony. I sobbed my way under the water, and out of it. It was just overwhelming. I went to bed with a migraine afterwards. Now, I don't want to panic some of you. Some people have fabulous baptisms. Best day of your life. Brilliant. Brilliant. But there comes a point we've got to say, I'm going to park my fears. I'm going to park my preferences. And I'm going to park my doubts. And I'm just going to step out and step in submit myself to my Lord's teaching and cast myself on his promises. We're not brave enough to do anything much in the Christian life of any importance. We're not strong enough. But Jesus is strong. His presence is enough. And as we go to baptism, as we go out from baptism into the Christian life, he will be with you always. In every time till the end of time. So let's trust him and let's honour him. And let's step out in our obedience and so experience the risen life which our Lord Jesus loves to bring to us. Let's pray. We thank you, loving Lord God, for this incredible gospel. And this incredible commission to bring this wonderful good news to the ends of the earth. Lord, where we are frightened to be baptized, give us the assuring knowledge of your presence. Where we're frightened to live out our baptism, we plead the same. We just want, Lord Jesus, you to be lifted high in our lives to use our brief, uncertain lives to be filled with your certain purposes that we might, after we've gone, leave a legacy of faith through our spirit-empowered obedience. And we pray our prayers as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.